Hello. My name's Valerie Schmidt, and I have the privilege of reading the scripture this morning. It can be found in your Pew Bible on page 847. Um, we are reading John 13, starting verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of God. We've been teaching through John's gospel on and off for the last year, and not to be silly about it, but I I think there is a connection between what we're doing now, last week and now, all the way through Easter with these passages in particular of the Gospel of John and a television show from a few years ago. Some of you will remember the show 24. Remember 24? um, The premise of the show 24 was that uh, every season was one day. Every episode was one hour of that one day, hence 20, 24. 24 shows 24 hours in a day. These are no ordinary days, full of surprises. Jack Bauer you know, would save everyone. And strange as it is, I, th- I think, well, I'll say this, before streaming services, right, you, you, like Thursday night, you had to watch, like you only got one hour, right? You couldn't binge watch. That was, that was a thing, some of you. Uh, there was TV that just shows came out once a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so anyway, that's what, that's what happened. And, and I think, again, silly as it is, there, there is a connection here between what we're doing now with these passages, not you know, the violence that was the episode 24, but um, we, the, the Gospel of John is you know, this big, and the first half is the first three years of Jesus' life. And now we're in the last half, and every, you know, which is just one week of his life, and particularly one night of his life. And as we preach each Sunday morning, we are essentially moving one hour closer to the cross. And so that's the connection. So let's pray as we begin these surprises of these very extraordinary epic hour in the history of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have sang and and I think prayerfully sung the theme that your your grace is amazing. And I, I just pray as we preach and we study this passage that you would give us a fresh understanding of your amazing grace, not not in the abstract, but in the particular in the application, not just generally to Christians, but even to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
There are three surprises that I think God wants us to see in this passage. Maybe there could be more, but, but at least three big surprises. And the first surprise we're going to talk about, the first surprise I, I want us to see is the surprise of our inability. So not ability, but the surprise of our inability. And so last week as Pastor Ron was preaching, he started with this painting of the Last Supper that was the passage from last week. I, I want to start with a few pictures again this week. So we'll put up the first picture here on the slide. This is uh, not the Last Supper, <laughs> obviously. This, this is, uh, probably most of you actually won't know who this is. He's the greatest marathoner runner in the world. His name's Elihud Kipchoge. He's a Kenyan marathon runner, and uh, this is from 2019. He's in Vienna, Austria, uh, running uh, what was not a real but also real marathon. There wasn't a race. All those runners behind him were his pace setters, and he, he ran ahead of him at the end. But he was trying what was this three, four-year project Nike and others sponsored to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon, which, again, might not mean a whole lot to you, uh, but I want to try and help that mean something. So that is... Um, one, so 26.1 miles, every mile that's 435. To be more specific, that's, that's, you know, if you're thinking miles per hour, that's 13 mi- just over 13 miles an hour for two hours. Most treadmills at most gyms only go to 12. <laughs> so, so, and he ran that, for, and so, so one more picture, or two more actually, but we go to just do one more. So this um, is a picture, there was an expo, where they built this giant treadmill, brought it in running and different things, and, and you can watch this on YouTube, but like, this is a screenshot. And they just put, like, even good amateur runners can't run a mile in 435. Many of them, most of them can't, unless they're almost uh, elite and the best high school and college runners. So, so and, 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 and like average athletes can't run for 30 seconds, and normal people can't run at all. And so, this poor man, bless his heart, this is a millisecond before this next <laughs> picture. <laughs> so... Um, Okay, you, you can put that down. Um, it, 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 just so that the illustration doesn't get you know, lost in the humor, in these pictures, one of those guys is Jesus, <laughs> and uh, one, one of them is Peter. One of them is Peter, or maybe I should say one of those guys is Jesus, and one of them is us. We are prone to overestimate the difference between Jesus' love and devotion to God and our own love and devotion to God. And that's what happens to Peter. That's the first surprise, the surprise of our inability. Let me reread, I hope you still have the Bible open, John 13, 36, and 38. These are the last part of the passage. It's after Jesus says what he says, then Peter and Jesus have this exchange. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? He would said he's going away and you can't follow. Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Remember this in front of all the disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, I might have started lighthearted, humorous, illustration, Kipchoge, treadmill, he's way better, okay. But this is serious. When Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, I think, as far as he knows, he will. 
Like that's what he thinks. I think as much as he can mean it sincerely, he does. He doesn't yet know what he'll soon know, what all the disciples will know, and what all of us should know as well. Peter tells Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Just a few chapters later, the next scene, he's going to be, have a sword out trying to fight Roman soldiers. And then a few verses, chapters later, he's going to be denying Jesus. And the third time, he's actually cursing, saying, I never knew him. Surprising change in a few hours. This would have been so sobering for Peter, especially as a leader of the group. He doesn't yet know how big the gap is between Jesus' love and devotion and Peter's own love and devotion. It's a surprisingly large gap. Do you know this gap? I mean, not, not in some abstract way, not as a theological assertion. Oh yeah, Jesus is better me and I'm a sinner. But do you know this in your bones? Like, do you know what it means to be face down, treadmill, in a crowd? Do the people around you have a sense that you know this gap? Or is there more of a, maybe we'd use the word to phrase, spiritual swagger? There is a kind of confidence before God that is of God and good. And there's a kind of, of confidence that's not. In all the political banter that's coming this year, and it's coming, and we'll go there as it seems appropriate at different times. But in all the political banter that's coming this year, will the world look at Christians and say, Christians know that the world needs to be different, and they know that they're part of the problem, or at least in so much as they are part of the solution to the problems, they're only that because God has changed them. Is that how we're perceived or will be perceived? Is that how you're known in the workplace? Is that how your family perceives you, fathers? As someone who's aware of their need for Jesus? This is hard. Whatever knowledge of his own inability Peter didn't have before this moment, the Lord helped him see his own inability, surprising and painful as it was for Peter's pride. And I think, too, Think think about this with me for a minute. The rest of Peter's life, every time he woke up to the sound of the rooster, he would have been reminded of his own inability and failure. And if that were the case, if he carried with him a sense of his need for Jesus all of his days, I'm not so sure that would be bad. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Jacob, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to... Israel, but he's, he's Jacob, and, and, and in, there's this scene where he's wrestling with God, and God, God does bless him, but in the process of wrestling with God, both as a real thing for him, but I think metaphorically for all of us, Jacob has his hip broken, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, and I'm not so sure that was bad for him or for us. I don't get the sense that Jesus intends to just rub Peter's nose in it, you know, like, so this, like forever, like just look at you. Look how bad you are. I, I, I don't think that's it. It's not about shame. Jesus is going to the cross to die for people, Peter included, so that they can be forgiven. So it's good 
you know, for, for that Jesus knows um, what he's going to do. And he knows that Peter needs to know that too, to be forgiven. But, but he also knows that part of appreciating Jesus requires seeing that gap. And thinking back to the treadmill, those, those men and women, brave, you didn't see any women, but there's others who get on it, and they actually, they found, the expo, there was a former 400-meter uh, runner, and she looked actually pretty good running on that treadmill. But again, you wouldn't have ran on it very long, but those who were brave enough to get on it, they, like they, they had this increased appreciation for how good Kip Chogi actually is. I think it's the same with us, seeing our sin, And seeing the grace of God. It was good for Peter. It's good for us. Let's talk about the next surprise in this passage. We've been talking about the surprise of our own inability. But but, but, but really what follows in that and related to that, mingled all in it, is this surprise of God's love for the real us. The surprise of God's love for the real you. The story goes that there was once a preacher and he went up to the pulpit on some Sunday morning and he, and he looked out at the members of his church and he delivered a one-sentence sermon. Y'all, he said, because he was from the South, y'all need to love one another so that the world will know that we're real. And he sat down and the worship team, they didn't know what to do. They looked at each other. They looked at the leader and they're like, well, like so we'll go up and lead our song. And they, he got up and they, they got up and they, they led a closing song and the church was confused, but they thought, okay, yeah, I mean, that was something. <laughs> no one really said too much, but then the next week, the story goes, the preacher got up into the pulpit again, looked out, delivered his same one-sentence sermon. You all need to love one another, for Jesus said, that's how the world will know that we're real. And, and yet this time, the, the leaders of the church, the pastor elders, they, they, they go up to the pastor, the preacher, they're like, well... You know, I, I mean, one time we get it, but, 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 but two, like how long, like is this what we're going to do for a while? Like what are, what are we doing here? And the preacher said, well, they didn't do it yet. <laughs> I guess that's one way to highlight our inability, isn't it? <laughs> now I started that story with the story goes that there was once a preacher. I, that was my way of saying, I don't know if it's true. I assume it's the urban legends that float around, you know, sermon illustrations. Um, but I bring it up because part of me likes that sermon, you know, and part of me does not at all. I, I, I mean, it's bold, it's memorable, okay, so we'll give it that. The congregation's not soon going to forget those two weeks, and maybe the preacher got 20 or 15 hours back in his week, and so maybe I like it for that reason as well, um, but, but I don't like it for the reason that it's not Christian preaching, Christian preaching is the announcement of good news in the main. The word evangelical is built on the Greek word euangelion. It's, it's, it's the Greek word that means good news. Preaching, there's a couple words, but one of the main words for preaching is euangelizomai. It means to preach good news, the gospel, the euangelion, evangelical. So evangelicals, us, this denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, are supposed to be good news people. Evangelical preachers are supposed to be good news preachers. And yes, and yes, of course, that means there's bad news. We are, as the Gospel of John says, Jesus himself, his own words, John chapter 3 says, if we are apart from Christ, if we do not yet know Christ, we are under, Jesus' words, under God's wrath. So that is bad news. And 
But what we are mainly to be about is not our inability and not our duty, but what we are to be about in the main is God's love. And that one-sentence sermon, memorable as it is, is not Christian preaching. When we come to this passage, sure, we need to see our inability, which we've done, and we need to see the duty we're called to, which we'll do in a few moments. But what we need to see in the main What we need to be surprised by over and over, again and again, is God's love for the real us. You saw that in the passage, didn't you? I hope. Let me read 31 to 34 again. Listen to what Jesus says. So when he had gone out, this is Judas, he had just washed Judas' feet, Lord's Supper, he left. When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said to those, the disciples who remained, now, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also be glorified in himself and glorify him at once. I'll explain a little bit what I think that means. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now the reason they can't come is different than why the Jews couldn't come. You'd have to go back into chapter 7 and 8 to see that, but just go with me in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, mark this, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. These verses begin by speaking of glory, and glory, one definition might be greatness on display. Glory is greatness on display. And so those lines about now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him, they're, they're saying something that would have been crazy surprising to these disciples. Like that's what I think the repetition, why he's got to say glorify now, now, glory, us, God, Father, me, together, glory, this goes together. That would have been, he's saying it over and over again because it would have been crazy to them because crucifixion was for losers and criminals. There was no connection in their mind between glory and crucifixion. That's why there's repetition. Jesus is saying the greatness of the Father and the greatness, his own greatness, are now surprisingly most seen in the way they draw near to you by dying for you when you don't deserve it. Now, like now, we think of that as glorious. It's hardly surprising to us anymore. We have crosses on steeples, we have crosses on jewelry, crosses on artwork, crosses on tattoos, but our See, we do that because we now see a glory in the cross that we never would have seen connected before until God made something horrible, glorious to us and for us. That's what this is about. And Peter may have been surprised by his own inability. Jesus wasn't surprised. Jesus wasn't surprised. Think about that. This is really important. The crux of what I'm saying here is in Jesus' unsurprisedness could say that about Peter and about us Peter may have been surprised by his own ability but Jesus wasn't surprised when Scott Elder and I one of leaders in our church volunteer pastor and I were talking about this passage on Friday afternoon he described Jesus as knowing that Peter and all the other disciples would ghost him at the cross and I thought man it's Friday I should have you told me that on Thursday I could have titled the sermon ghosted at the cross but you didn't you didn't tell me that then so I had to title it something else, but, but think about that. It's not just that 
every follower deserts Jesus, but it's that Jesus knows every follower will desert him at the cross. It's not as though he got on the cross and he looked around and was like, man, where are my guys? It's that he knows. And with that in mind, now consider the line again. Very, very specific phrasing. As I have loved you. When Jesus says, as I have loved you, he means that he loves with knowledge of the real us. That is surprising. Church, Jesus loves the real you. Not the one you pose to others. Jesus loves the real you, not not the one who has manicured his or her image. Jesus knows and loves the real you, not not the better version of you that you hope to be tomorrow or some day in the future at the end of 2024 or the end of some time after that. Not the version of you that hopes to lose 30 pounds. Not the version of you that wants to try harder to be a better father. Not the version of you that has your children all in perfect obedience. Not the version of you that has all of your struggles with lust totally under control. He loves the version version of you who doesn't run a successful church yet or hasn't read the Bible yet in 2024. Those may be great and holy endeavors and things to figure out and things that God might actually help you do in this next year. But know this, that Jesus loves you now. Before you've done all those. Not the Sunday best version of the real us. And whether that surprises you or not, it's still Surprises me, and I hope it always does. And out of that love, God then calls us to love one another. It's, that's really the next and last point. A new commandment is described to love and the surprising effect that that has on the watching world. So surprise of our inability, the surprise of God's love, and this surprising effect that when our inability gets transferred in the, transformed in the gospel to become an ability we would not have otherwise had. Let me read 34 and 35 again. This is, we're gonna see this command, this, this, this duty, so to speak, that, that God gives us this invitation, really. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you ask the question, what's new about the new commandment, it's not as though God's people were previously commanded to hate one another, right? It's not not what it is. In the Old Testament, God specifically commands the people, there's this beautiful paragraph actually about how we're to relate to one another in Leviticus chapter 19 and then verse 18 it says, words that are probably familiar to you, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right now, if those verses are familiar to you, it's probably not from Leviticus, it's probably for the time those verses are quoted in the Gospels, but they're quoted first, they're commanded first in the Old Testament in Leviticus. So no, it's not that God's people were to hate each other. So what, what is new about this new commandment? Because the question, like, what, what is new? Why is this new? Let me read that verse again, see if you hear it. This is from Leviticus and then the Gospels. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Read, read Jesus' words again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
you were to love one another. Do you see how the intensity is ratcheted up? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love as I have loved you. What is new about the new commandment is that we don't just love as we love ourselves, but we are to love as those who have received love from Jesus we didn't deserve, which means we choose, and this is a choice, to sacrificially love other Christians as they are. It's a key phrase. We choose to love other Christians, not the version of them we hope to experience someday when they're better and more friendly and are more holy and more like Jesus. That version of them that's off in the future, that version of them that has their sin more under control and their language is a little less rough and their sexuality is more aligned with God's design and they're not so wasteful with their money and their anger is less explosive. No, to love as Jesus loves means we choose to love the version of the other Christians that are right there in our lives right now. The real them, not the version of them that has it all together, not the Sunday morning version. And church, that would be surprising to the watching world. A world that only knows merit and right and earned love. This doesn't mean that we don't want better for others. And we might take hard steps to help get them there as we would hope they would do for us. Doesn't mean that Jesus didn't want better for Peter. But it means that we can start with love and lead with love now. I don't know the specific ways God might be pressing you to apply this in your life. Yeah, I can... Envision the person says, yeah, I wish Christians would do that to me now. Well, maybe they should, but maybe you should worry about you first. In, in general, I would say that one of the best ways to do this, big surprise, Pastor Benjamin, is to pursue meaningful membership in a local church. I say that because in a local church, you'll continually, how should I say this? You're going to have the opportunity <laughs> to love those who are currently hard to love. And if you do this, you pursue meaningful involvement, not to take your ball and go home, but to, to, to stay, when it's hard to stay, you might get the chance to see people change. You might not, but you might. People do change, and often when they change, it's because, yes, they experience this ethereal love of God, but, 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 but how do they experience it most often? Through us, through you. When you study this passage for a few weeks, you, you, you see all these authors, they, they quote this guy named Tertullian. Tertullian was this, often referred to as, quote, this third century apologist, so he lived in the third century. 
Apologist, basically meaning Tertullian's thing was to, to give a reasonable explanation of the Christian faith to outsiders, Romans, pagans, the, the non-believers, that's the phrases that's always used. And one of the things he wrote that, get, that, that gets quoted all the time is that he said that the outside world, as they looked at those early Christians, they had this phrase that said, see how they love each other. <laughs> like almost with this disbelief, see how they love each other. And then he added, and how they are ready to die for one another. Listen, we, we are not going to actually have to die for one another in our moment, most likely. But we can choose to love in sacrificial ways. And it can begin as simple as just even after the service. Just choosing to stay for a few minutes, talk to people. Some of you already do that. You feel like, I'm going to come early, I'm going to stay late. Just like, it's not fun to me always, but I'm going to do it because I know that that honors Christ and it builds his church and it's great. And, and, and for some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna see some of my friends and that's so good. I, I do not want to discourage you from talking to your friends at all. I look out after church, I'm like, this is the healthiest thing. We're just talking to friends. I just might say, like, could you have more friends? Could you find new and more friends? And in this way, might the friendship of the church grow and be surprising to a watching world. As we close, I, I just want to go back to something I said. I said it might not be all that bad for Peter to, to, to hear this rooster crow each day and be reminded of his failure. That's true, I suppose. It could also not be true in a very unhealthy way. I don't mean those unhealthy ways, but, but in the ways that it would be healthy. It could be helpful. Maybe you have scars from past sins. Maybe even in the present, and, and, and the reminders of ways you failed. Maybe you, you broke something in your anger and you, you see it. Maybe you wrecked a car. Maybe you've got court-mandated community service. Maybe you're paying child support. Maybe your smartphone is to you a reminder of sin and temptation, just as the rooster was for Peter when you use your smartphone as an alarm clock. Maybe family members who didn't visit at Christmas time were reminders of the hurt and the pain you've caused each other. But thinking about Peter, I bet that over time, this rooster became more than a sign of his inability. I bet waking up to the rooster became a reminder that God loved him. And each morning, he woke up with this freshly aware of his need for grace, and yet also freshly reminded that he had it in Christ more than he could ask or imagine. And I think that's a very Christian way to live. And living this way changed him. There was a day 30 years after this day where Peter did follow Jesus into death. Remember, Jesus hinted at that. You won't follow me now, but you'll follow me afterward. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is actually going to say more about that. It's going to take a long time to get there towards Easter. But we'll make those comments then. But what I want to close by saying to you now is that today your failure might be the avenue whereby God pours his grace into your life. If you would let him. If you would let him. Let's pray and invite the worship team to lead us in a song. Heavenly Father, help us to build our life on your firm foundation. There is more strength 
for us in the good news that we have yet to experience. Lead us there. We pray this in Jesus' name.